This podcast and the many that follow are proudly brought to you by our partner, Titleist, the number one ball in golf. Now, as it relates to earning an edge, our friends at Titleist have been the leaders since the early 1900s. And in order to compete and win at the highest level, frankly, there's no room for second best. For this reason, the best players in the world trust Titleist. Hello, and welcome to episode five of the Earn Your Edge podcast. I'm Cameron McCormick, and I'm joined by fellow high-performance coach, Corey Lundberg. By passion and practice, we at Altus have driven to decode the difference makers that high-performers possess, the ways and means they use to earn their edge, to create separation from the mass, to leave mediocrity in their rear-view mirror, and travel this journey to mastery. Be it through nature or nurture or a combination of both, the journey to uncover these things is the journey that we're on. Our episode today is going to be centered around a hypothetical question that one of our clients asked us, a guy named Ty Ko, who's a, a client that comes to see us a couple times a year from his base in New Zealand and where he plays on the main tours in Korea and Japan. And during his off-season visit last year, he sat in my office and, and asked me, if next week I was playing in a tournament and the future of mankind depended on me winning that event, what should my preparation look like? Meaning that humankind would, would cease to exist if he doesn't win. And I was really taken aback by the question and, and shared it with Cam and we loved it. And I certainly had my thoughts on what that prep should look like, but we wanted to go to our other clients that have won plenty around the world and ask them that, that same question. And like so many of these conversations that we've had, I was blown away by how these extraordinarily successful players have all found their own way to pretty similar discoveries. The, the same themes came up in a lot of their answers. So we want to spend the episode listening to their answers and unpacking some of those themes in the hope that you, the listener, will have a better understanding for how the best in the world prepare it if the future of mankind depended on their successful performance and hopefully help you understand the underlying principles behind their answers so you might be able to apply them to any meaningful performance that you're preparing for. We'll start with Jordan Spieth. A thread that came up often was that these players would conduct some level of health check, a skill inventory, if you will, early in their quote-unquote preparatory week, be it 10, 7, 5, or 3 days before their quote-unquote performance. When asked the doomsday hypothetical, Jordan referenced Al Masters' prep as the template he would use. It'd be the exact same thing we do for the Masters. Okay. <laughs> so you've got it figured out already. You've got your template. It'd be, yeah, it'd be, I start on Monday. You start practicing Monday. Yeah, it'd be getting Cam out there. We're dialing in the check marks. We're hitting, yeah. we're hitting each part of the game on Monday. We're probably practicing a bit on, on every part of the game, right? I'm on shorter length putts. I'm on mid-range. I'm speed putting. I'm working different chip shots around the greens. I'm working different flights on wedges. And then I'm working the full swing, hitting target sets. Okay, and then I'm playing nine holes. And then you assess where's everything at, where do we need to emphasize practice, and where do we just hit these check marks again. Yeah. Wherever we hit the check marks, great. You always do extra putting. You always do extra work around the greens. And then do you, your wedges need a little bit more work? Do your long irons need more work? Do you need to hit drivers? And, and ideally, it's not hit drivers, but sometimes it is. And so then it becomes specific to – what you saw that first day, the next two days, and you kind of adjust each day. And then by the, by the end of it, you should have had enough practice, enough rest and hit enough check marks. So let's say on third or on Wednesday, your check marks just aren't, you're not checking. Yeah, it's been there. Absolutely. So 
at what point are you saying, shit, we have to retool our, our toolbox and I have to decide what I have to work with so that I can, as you say, even with a C game, still get out there, which is the, the, the biggest separator, right? At what point do you flip that switch to where you start to retool the toolbox? Well, when I start on Monday, not necessarily knowing where everything, I always have a good idea of where things are going to be at, right? Because I've, I don't just go months without practicing. So I know where things are. Um, I'm prepared when Monday starts to be able to contend without my best stuff. So if it's not all checked on Wednesday, even if it is all checked on Wednesday, then there's this, okay, well, shoot, you know, things have, I haven't been playing that great. You know, like I missed the cut in Houston this year in 17. I felt awful with the putter going in. Yeah. Okay, I checkmarked everything at Augusta in practice, but I'm sitting there going, okay, I get in the tournament, it's a different animal. What's that going to be like? There's still always questions, even if you hit the check marks. And being able to respond to those as quickly as possible. Exactly. And create triggers that allow you to commit and then produce on the course. Like for me, you know, on shorter length putts, if I figure, okay, okay I can look at the hole or I can look at a spot right in front of the ball when it's breaking a little and that frees me up a little bit. Well, I've just gained a little bit of an advantage over the way that I felt. And all of a sudden, I'm just a little bit more confident. So it's these triggers. Okay, you know, the swing doesn't feel great. Wow, I just hit that. I just worked this feeling in my swing on that three wood. I tried it on a hole where, you know, I had a bit of room for air at a bigger fairway. Wow, I hit my spot. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that again. Right. And I can adjust the club face a little off of that feeling in the swing. Always trying to create a little bit of a trigger off of stuff that isn't there that gives you that bit of confidence. So I'm not worried if the boxes aren't checked. It just means that I've got to find, you know, I've got to find it. And and I've gone through situations, I've gone through certain times where the check marks are checked and I'm that confident in them. Look at the the Open Championship at uh, St. Andrews. I really got screwed in the draw there. I, I was in a bad draw where we had wind delays that stopped us and we played like, you know, three holes one day that started at like 6 p.m. and on Saturday maybe or something. It's just bizarre. But everything was checkmarked there, and, and it was just a constant – I think it was maybe just a little bit of speed control adjusting to the speed of those greens. Everything else was fine. I was working a little bit on the swing that gave me a, a swing thought that I loved that I could then commit to on every single shot, and I knew that I was going to have a chance to win that week. I just – you know, I felt good about it. I had just come off. I had nothing to lose. I'd won the first two majors that year. I just won the week before. It's like, you know what? You know, I'll get out there and, and do what I can. I think I got off to a decently slow start, started to make up ground. And by the time Sunday 16 happened, I made a putt that gave me a tie for the lead with two holes to play. Yeah. So eventually it was going to happen. I let it fall into place. Those are rare. Yeah. Those are ideal, but those are rare in our game. there's a lot baked into that answer from Jordan where he's basically describing his template for the masters, which also would serve as how he would prepare for our doomsday hypothetical. And you hear Jordan talk about just hitting the check marks a lot. He and Cam have this mental list of items that require attention to ensure a sufficient level of readiness. And that readiness is one of the three themes that we identified and attempting to synthesize how all the players that we asked the doomsday hypothetical described what their prep would look like. And while ours is only a hypothetical and a golf tournament certainly isn't life or death, I think that you can make some correlations into how maybe a great military would prepare for going into battle. You know, first, they have that physical and mental readiness that they're trying to create. Second, 
there are countless simulations that they're running in an attempt to prepare for the unknown. They run all scales of simulation, just like a golfer in a practice round, attempting to recreate what they might encounter for an event. And third, there, there's some sort of weapons check. And you heard Jordan speak a little bit to him trying to figure out which weapons were on go and which which weapons needed maybe some fine tuning. And I, I want to share with you a few of the other players, their thoughts on their, their doomsday tournament prep. Uh, within the framework of our hypothetical here. But before we go to hear from So Young, Cam, if simulations, weapon checks, and, and mental readiness are the cornerstones of really great prep, I'm curious to hear the other side of the spectrum. In your opinion, what poor prep would look like? The mistake that I think anyone that spends a lot of time watching golf on television makes is we have a perspective that's largely skewed by watching only those players that are playing golf at a very high level, yes, PGA, LPGA, European Tour, but yet they're playing at the best of their ability, right? We're watching the leaders. And some tournaments, in fact, a lot of the time when you're watching leaders, you're watching largely great shots. You're watching fairways hit, you're watching tight greens in regulation, proximity to the hole. That's, it essentially looks like professional golfers are playing golf on Xbox or PlayStation. But yet, we don't need a set of skills that we could define as optimized set of skills. What we need are a set of skills that satisfice, which is a totally paradigm shift away from the optimized set of skills. Satisfice skills are skills that get the job done for a given situation. And so after our weapons check, when we've defined what we have versus what we really would like to have kind of an idealistic mentality versus a responsible and practical mentality. Then we worked to develop certain go-to shots that create predictability within necessary ranges of precision. And the precision that's required to perform at a recreational level in the game of golf is a start direction and a shot shape that causes me to either hit the fairway or know where my miss is going to be. That's no different than the PGA, LPGA, and European tours. That's no different than the highest end of the game on junior amateur level. Furthermore, when you're talking about approach play, you're talking about the same level of needed predictability with maybe a little bit more precision the higher you're trying to scale up that competitive ladder. Because to play good golf at a recreational level, it's about really hitting targets right? And the target is the fairway, the target is the green. And from there, your score is not going to inflate too much. But yet to play the golf at a world-class level, professional, amateur, junior, many of the difference makers exist not on a am I hitting target level, they exist more on a proximity to target level. So now how close, how many times in a round of golf am I inside a range where that next putt, that birdie opportunity is realistically makeable. So inside of 10 or 15 feet. So what we need to understand as players, performers in any area, developing our skill is that we're working on those two sides, predictability within a range of precision. And there's a time for optimizing, constructing a set of skills that may mean swing changes, that may mean tactical changes, that may mean expanding your toolbox in diversity on or around the greens. But yet, when you're getting ready to compete, moreover, you're gonna compete at your best when 
you have the level of predictability of knowing where the ball's gonna start, that's horizontal and vertical launch, it's gonna start in this window, and knowing the direction it's gonna curve off that start window when we're talking about ball striking. Knowing that around the green, you're gonna make serviceable contact that's gonna allow you to hit your landing point with a good degree of predictability, hit your trajectories with a good degree of predictability, and largely, when you've got a putt on your hand, you're gonna hit your start lines with a reasonable level of speed. And if those are the things that you're preparing for, then you're adopting that mode of satisficing over optimizing. I think the error that people make is they practice to compete thinking that they need their A-plus game, that they need to play golf like they're playing on PlayStation or Xbox, where in reality, good enough gets it done. And so we should be searching for good enough, which allows us to tolerate a necessary range of error that we know may happen because, again, it still fits in that window of predictability. And I think that predictability is a really, really important element that we heard from all of our players. And it speaks to the theme of physical and mental readiness that they're striving towards in the lead up to their big events and how they prepare the best. And now let's hear from Soyeon Yu. Soyeon is a two-time major champ. She just nearly missed out on a third in a playoff just a few weeks ago. And Soyeon's answer does a really good job answering the hypothetical in relation to the second big theme that we heard, which was simulation, trying to simulate certain situations in preparation for those, those meaningful performances. Especially like compared to like rookie, like what, what they're doing on the golf course is just they, that's what I did when I was rookie as right. well. Just, you know, practice like much as they can, you know, they're just, you know, pretty much practice up the, all around the green. But I know what kind of situation is common situation and just kind of narrow down that I just, Rather chipping like hundred times, I'd rather doing like practice with two balls and a high quality practice. Yeah, so there's and then, efficiency yeah. in, in your prep that's yeah. maybe not there and yeah. less experienced. Yeah. Part. Also, I always like when I was play in 2012 and 13, my first you know two years, I wrote down at the yardage book like what kind of chip shot I normally did at the yeah. rough. Like okay, this rough I felt like. Like A and A, that one rough looks like not really tough one, but actually really th sticky. Even though it looks like not really sticky, always like really right. like tough. So I just wrote down, okay, you know, this way I open up my club face a bit more than what I normally do. Then like more hinging or like less yeah. hinging. I always wrote down when I was rookie. So like when I go back to the same golf course, I can see the yardage move. Right? Yes, and like so what kind of yeah, right? what kind of shot I did. But right now I'm just my body automatically know what kind of shot I need to do. But back then I had no idea. So that was really helpful. I would say maybe first two days, I'm going to practice a lot, like much as I can. Technical? Uh, yes, technical. Okay. So you're going you're gonna to devote the first period of that time to just making sure form is really, yes. really good. Yes, yeah. Making sure you have a right swing and you're making sure you have a right stroke, making sure your speed control is good, like make sure like everything. And then I think after that, I think I'm going to create it all the um, like situation what I can have on at the tournament. Right. So situational practicing, yes. trying to recreate some of that yeah. stuff and practice in context. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I might not gonna play any hole for Monday, Tuesday, but maybe for Wednesday till Sunday, I'm not gonna play at least like three rounds right. and then just create yeah. kind of similar situation. Cool. And that's not very dissimilar to how you're prepping right now anyway mm. right mm -mm. yeah especially the reason why i want to practice like much as i can for monday tuesday is well like high quality of 
practice is important than how many times you've been practiced. But after you having like long time of practice, kind of you can have confidence from that. Right. Like I've practiced putting three hours today. I cannot putt bad. You know those kind of things. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. So that's why I want to practice as much as I can for like Monday, Tuesday. Exactly. So let's take a quick break in the action to recognize one of our partners, Under Armour. It's Under Armour's mission to make all athletes better through passion, design, and the relentless pursuit of innovation. And that ethos or mission statement couldn't be more aligned with the Earn Your Edge podcast. We're thankful to be powered by Under Armour. I don't think that the fact that these players are simulating the actual event is any great revelation for us to share with you. I think we all know that players are playing practice rounds and they're trying to acclimate to the course and to the conditions. But my big takeaway from So Young's answer and hearing it was just the efficiency that exists in that simulation. Similar to what Cam discussed regarding satisficing versus optimizing, these great players are incredibly efficient in what they're paying attention to. It's the Pareto's principle, the 80-20 rule. By the time they get to an event, they realize that 80% of the positive effects of their prep is likely going to come from those really important, that 20% of their efforts. And they're ruthlessly efficient in devoting time to those aspects of prep. They're being responsible by looking at what the golf course is demanding, what skills are trending in the right direction versus the wrong direction, and then weighing and balancing the need to address whatever issues are presenting themselves with the absolute need for rest and recuperation within a competitive week. Recognizing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they're preparatory for a culmination or a peak by the time Thursday comes. Sometimes it's Thursday through Sunday, but there are peaks and valleys of performance even within tournament week and the tournament itself. So Monday through Sunday or more narrow Thursday through Sunday on a competitive level or a professional level, I should say. But yet at the same time, you're going to hit poor shots and we'll call those instances or occurrences versus a pattern of poor shots. And so the responsible player, the responsible coach, the responsible person in any team will be the person that tunes in and recognizes that the one-off or the marginal times that poor shots occur is more noise than signal. The signals are the patterns of error that keep recurring in certain situations that need to be addressed as problems on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, sometimes in warm-ups pre-round, and sometimes they're corrective after rounds. So efficiency is important, and that efficiency starts in what information do we have from the outset of preparing for our doomsday, our very important contest scenario. But it's also, once you've established what that plan is to prepare correctly, doesn't mean it's fixed. It's always fluid. But yet, don't be overreactive to those instances, those occurrences that you might think are poor shots, and most definitely they are, but they're probably not part of your bigger picture of performance, right? They'll come and go. And given that you hit so many shots on a driving range, you're probably going to see those things not emerge on a golf course. So therefore we don't react to them. And that creates that level of efficiency. And I think that efficiency and prep focusing on the patterns over occurrences is a really good lead into our final theme that we heard, which was weapons checks. 
We heard on countless occasions players describe some version of preparation that was dedicated to identifying those patterns, the shots that they felt were most ready, and then those that they felt like they were struggling with, and then formulating this arsenal for the event. And Kramer Hickok is a web.com client of CAMS, did an awesome job first describing his strategy for simulation and then digging into how he goes through that weapons check. So look at that week and go back over, see what the winning scores typically is, what the weather's going to be like, and trying to figure out maybe what that what the course conditions are like and try and kind of figure out what that number is going to be so I have an idea of what to look for in practice rounds and first and second rounds. And then um, I would be visualizing myself holding that trophy every single day. And every night I'd be visualizing myself winning. And then I would go out there and prepare the way that I would see necessary. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, you know, I'm always going to have, you're always going to have a round where you don't hit it good. No one's ever going to have their A game for four straight days and win. Like it's, I can have my C game and, and still play well. And so I'm thinking, okay, this is one of those days when I'm going to have to change my aggressiveness in the greens. I'm still going to swing aggressively, but I'm going to pick conservative targets, yeah. rely more on my putting. And I'm going to kind of, on the range every day, I pick out certain shots I have and don't have. And I kind of say, okay, this is my arsenal. This is how I'm going to attack the course that day. So if I have a low cut or high draw, you know, I'm going to attack it that way. Yeah. And so every day can be different. You know, it's, awesome. it's not always the yeah. same. So, so you're, you're consciously part of that warm-up is deciding, all right, here's my arsenal. Yeah. Like, here are the shots that are sharp. Here are the ones yeah. that I'm not feeling as comfortable with. And Absolutely. Then, and then kind of adapting. Or it. even here's my miss, right? So like this is a common tendency for me to have would be maybe a heel shot with this club or maybe it's throughout the bag. You can certainly, and a draw would certainly help eliminate that heel shot for me. I don't know how it is for other people, but I know that my cuts tend to start left and stay there. My draws tend to start right and stay there. So if I got a right pin, wins off the right, I can actually get a little bit more aggressive knowing that my shot's actually going to start left and hang there. Whether it's a draw, if it's into a right pin, you're trying to hold it, I'm actually going to be a little bit less aggressive and and hit it more towards the center of the green and tack it that way. So I think, I mean, the biggest thing for me was just mentally just having that you have to know your game so well and you have to know your tendencies and your tendencies under pressure. And then that gives you a certain way that you know how to adapt and because everything's going to always change on the course. Now tell your story of Andrea. So weapons checks came out of a session with Andrea to where there was a period of, of the year where driver wasn't good. And so we were trying to hit this high draw driver as a stock shot and it wasn't very reliable it didn't it didn't fall within that range of predictability and so we had a session in dallas to where we just said let's define more than just that one weapon instead of just having one let's have a in our toolbox let's have 10 different weapons and so we in the bay we like named different shots so one was the high stock drive that we wanted to hit all the time that wasn't always there Two was, let's tee it down a little lower. Let's kind of just keep it in the fairway. This is a little bit more control. This may even be like a straighter or a fall right. Three was the bomb three wood. Four was the, all right, now I'm going to hit the straight three wood. And then say five was the, I'm going to take an iron off the tee. And so to this day, we when we're talking about the prep on the golf course, like when we're take, saying, all right, here's the course report. We've mapped it out. Or you've played this plenty of times before. Which weapon are we? do you think we're going to need the most? It's like, okay, this golf course, I don't even have to have my one because I'm going to hit a bunch of threes and fours all week. Or on the range before, we're trying to decide, oh, shit, one ain't there. (laughs) So we know for sure that one ain't there. We're not going to 
ever pull out a one on the golf course. And so it's, it goes back to the skill check thing, but it's like, I know exactly what I have today. I know which weapons are firing on all cylinders and I know which weapons are broke right. and I'm not even gonna pull the broke weapons out rather than going back to like the optimizing versus satisficing or is saying the guy that's like, man, I really am going to make my one work. I'm just going to keep hitting it all day, despite which direction it's going and just saying, just like cutting base, like, I'm not going to hit that shot. I'm going to, I'm going to go for the threes or fours all day. So to wrap this up, this hypothetical was a great learning experience for us as it helped us identify those three big elements that as coaches, we really need to be focusing on and helping clients prepare for their big events, the themes of physical and mental readiness, simulation and weapons check that we spoke of. But I'm hopeful that as you hear from us and the players, you're able to pick out another takeaway that we had in going over all of this. There's a bit of a paradox here, you know, saving the world and playing your very best at a big event is obviously massively important, but there isn't any cramming for the test in the days leading up to this event. The best in the world aren't necessarily trying to make sure everything is perfect. They're not urgent. They're not panicking. They're just following this plan that will produce some predictability and some preparedness. They're structured and organized and having this checklist of, of items that they need to make sure that they check off before they play an event. And they're not necessarily trying to make sure that they're just hitting completely perfect golf shots. Yeah, I think it's the recognition that there's a periodization to anything that we do. There's a period of constructing new capacities, repairing capacities versus preparation to compete. And so oftentimes when you're dealing with athletes in other sports other than golf, they have a well-defined off-season. And that well-defined off-season is first and foremost rest and recuperation. And then it turns into reflective process of review. And it's not necessarily as simple as a wash, rinse, repeat for most athletes. Most athletes are looking at, as businesses are, opportunities for improvement. And that begins a constructive process of planning, whether it's from an economic standpoint in a business or a product or service standpoint or a skill standpoint in a team or individual sporting environment. But yet what we're talking about right now is as we get closer, to the 11th hour, so to speak. It, it matters now. It's getting really close to us needing to perform. That if we're still in that constructive mindset, there's a good chance that we're prioritizing in areas that aren't actually relevant to us improving our score. So we get stuck in kind of this constructive mindset for far too long. So the recognition that periodization is really important. And if the only thing that mattered was shooting the lowest score tomorrow, or in three days from now, then what we're doing in training, what we're doing in practice is probably going to be different than what we would be doing if we didn't have a tournament coming up. Okay. So those are two different extremes where we're, we're looking at the macro cycle of a season mm -hmm. versus go to play tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So relevant to our hypothetical, which is in a week or in two weeks is the event that you have to save mankind by winning the week before when we're in leave no stone unturned mode where we're doing everything in our power, what are the three or four things that a player that you think needs to value the most as those, all right, I'm going to do everything I can to get ready for this event? Yeah, unpacking leave no stone unturned. I don't think we should look at that statement and say that all of the skills that we could possibly develop as a golfer, as a performer, are necessary to perform in this next event, right? What we need to understand is leave no stone unturned in terms of the time that we're going to apply, the effort that we're going to apply over that time. 
and also the intelligence that we're going to apply within that effort. So rather than four things, there's really three there. And the intelligence kind of starts off that process, the intelligence of what's this context going to be like? What necessary skill sets does this golf course and does this competitive group require from me? And then that informs what I may or may not need to prioritize or dedicate time to and effort to in practice. So there's no specific way, but there are some principles there that we can anchor to or begin to understand the unique DNA for each individual, how they should prepare best for that ultimate challenge of saving humanity. Thanks very much for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about Altus Performance, go check out altusperformance.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Team Altus and Instagram at Altus Performance. Also, thanks to Cordy Walker for his wonderful production work on this and coming episodes of Earn Your Edge. Your Edge.